Hi, I'm Gavin Giovannoni. I'm the Professor of Neurology at the Blizzard Institute and I am part of the medical faculty at Queen Mary University of London and I'm talking to you today about the publication of the Frexalimab Phase 2 results in the New England Journal of Medicine. I'm incredibly excited uh, by this publication and I think it's enormous or very big news and it actually has rejuvenated my enthusiasm for the future of MS treatments. Now, the reason why it's so important is that um, the actual monoclonal antibody for exalimab blocks um, the so-called CD40 ligand. Um, and this is the ligand that binds to a molecule called CD40, and it's critical in co-stimulating T-cells and activating T-cells. Um, and the results are incredibly positive. Uh, you know, when you look at the high-dose, it reduced uh, MRI activity by 90%, which puts it in the very high, highly effective therapy bracket. Then over time, their therapy got even better. Yeah, and this trial was very short. It was a, essentially a three-month trial, simply because it's becoming increasingly difficult to put uh, people into placebo-controlled trials for longer than this period of time. So I think the results are incredibly uh, important. And not only did it have an impact on MRI activity, but it also uh, reduced um, uh, blood neurofilament levels and a inflammatory marker called CXCL13 um, quite profoundly in a very short period of time. And it also had an impact on quality of life. So this is remarkable results for such a short uh, uh, study. Um, I, thought, I also think that going beyond just the results is telling us something really important about the pathogenesis of MS. And it confirms the critical role of T cells in the pathogenesis of MS because this particular uh, pathway is critical in activating T cells. Um, and so the, it's suggesting that MS is an autoimmune disease. Uh, and the, the problem I have, and it causes cognitive dissonance, is that I've taken a very strong position on EBV being the cause of MS. And if the EBV is the cause of MS, how does this uh, trial result with an anti-CD40 ligand uh, explain Epstein-Barr virus driving MS disease activity? And uh, it's important for me to say that EBV is an incredibly uh, clever virus. Uh, and from an evolutionary perspective, it's actually hijacked the CD40 and CD40 signaling uh, pathway to promote its own survival. And EBV produces a latent membrane protein called LMP1. And this is actually a CD40 mimic and augments the normal CD40 signaling pathway to give the B cell that it infects a pro-survival advantage. So if you block the CD40 pathway, uh, you may find that the LMP1 doesn't give enough signaling and that cell may actually be disadvantaged and may not survive. So that's one theory. Um, another thing that's not known um, or very little is known about it is that actually EBV-infected B cells express CD40 ligand, the actual molecule on its membrane that Frexalimag binds to. Um, why this occurs, we don't know, but it appears to be an aberrant expression. And this may mean it's actually a very effective antigen-presenting cell uh, and present autoantigens to uh, autoreactive T cells. So by blocking this, you actually may reduce the EBV-infected B cell from presenting antigen, and that may also be uh, the way it's working. Uh, there is this theory uh, or hypothesis that EBV drives MS disease activity by keeping uh, autoreactive antigen-presenting cells alive. In other words, B cells are not being killed off, 
and they're staying alive, and those B cells that are staying alive are presenting autoantigens to autoreactive T cells. Therefore, by blocking this, you may actually be inhibiting that process and actually killing those B cells by preventing them getting pro-survival signals. Anyway, I put the article um, from 2003 about the aberrant expression of CD40 ligands on EB-infected B cells for your information. I'll also take the position, even if I'm wrong about EBV and Frexalimab, um, the results of the study are sending a real buzz through the MS community, particularly amongst immunologists, because, and, and actually also genomics experts, because both the immunologists and the genomics experts predicted that the CD40, CD40 ligand is critical in MS pathogenesis and predicted these results two decades ago. Now, the reason why the first generation of monoclonal antibodies against CD40 and CD40 ligand failed is because they tended to activate platelets and cause thrombosis. We, we've now know about that, and it's not to do with the, it's to do with the, the what we call the FC fragment of um, uh, immunoglobulin. And by engineering out the bio, the platelet demanding domain, domain of those antibodies, you actually prevent that from happening. So this new generation uh, of anti-CD40 ligand antibodies, including Frexalimab, have not got thrombotic complications, which is reassuring. So this drug is not going to be, in my opinion, associated with thrombosis. Um, anyway, I was asked by a colleague after, yesterday when these results came out, you know, where do I see the MS market in 10 years' time? He doesn't think there's space uh, in the market for another, another anti-inflammatory like Frexalimab. And, uh, and I think... You know, his opinion is that because of the stunning results of the anti-CD20, their relative safety, ease of use, that there is no space for another anti-inflammatory. And so I disagree with him, and I suggest that he read my extensive commentaries on anti-CD20 therapies. It's very clear that anti-CD20s are very effective at suppressing relapses and focal MRI activity. In other words, you become... Uh, inactive uh, with no evident inflammatory disease activity, but it doesn't stop. These therapies do not stop smoldering MS. So a significant proportion of people on anti-CD20s will continue to get worse because it's not targeting CNS mechanisms and what's driving smoldering MS. Um, and also, I don't think people can stay on anti-CD20 therapies lifelong. You know, a proportion develop hypergammaglobulinemia, the immunoglobulin levels drop. And as you age, the risk of infection increases. And we are seeing an increasing number of patients being admitted with severe infections. So we definitely need an exit strategy from anti-CD20 therapies. And Frexalimab may be one of those exit strategies. And so if the phase three Frexalimab studies show uh, the drug to have a much more pronounced effect on the end organ, in other words, reducing brain volume loss, uh, people develop fewer paramagnetic rim lesions, fewer slowly expanding lesions. There's a reduction in spinal fluid biomarkers of both B and plasma cell activity, less microglial activation. Then Frexalimab will win hands down. Who wouldn't want to go on to the therapy that uh, uh, reduces or prevents smoldering disease? So I think I think the this issue about is there space will depend on how good Frexalimab proves to be in phase three trials. So we shouldn't get second guess that. And there's also this very tantalizing possibility that Frexalimab may uh, reestablish immune tolerance and there's no, and it won't need to be given continuously. And the reason why I say that is because uh, an autoreactive T cell needs an antigen-specific signal, which goes via the MHC molecule and the T cell receptor, and it needs a co-stimulatory signal. And if you block the co-stimulatory signal, that interaction between the major histocompatibility complex and the T cell receptor goes from being a, you know, 
pro-inflammatory activating signal to be coming an energic or tolerogenic signal. So there is this theory that uh, frexalimab and this class of drugs may re-establish immune tolerance and switch off autoimmunity, in other words, cure MS, you know, get rid of the autoreactive T cells. So I think we should wait to see what the results are. And the idea that you have to stay on frexalimab lifelong may not be necessary because if it does re-establish tolerance, you may only need a short course of it. And i also make the point, even if Rexalimab uh, and the other anti-CD40 ligands or anti-CD40 therapies fail, you know, we'll still have this emerging theory or emerging concept of using induction and maintenance strategies to treat MS. So we would use an immunodepleting therapy, you know, it could be alemtuzumab, HSCT, cladribine, or the anti-CD20s, give them for a short period of time and then switch people onto a safer maintenance therapy to keep the disease in remission. So I think the hegemony of the anti-CD20 therapies will be uh, threatened by uh, induction maintenance. And the maintenance therapy could be one of our currently licensed therapies. It could be the fumarates, either dimethyl fumarate or diroximal fumarate. It could be one of the dihydroorotate diabrogenase inhibitors, like teriflunamide or the one that's emerging, vitaflutamus. And vitaflutamus's results uh, at the phase two level are really, really exciting. And I think they... Uh, this is a real um, uh, threat to the anti-CD20 market. And then there could be the use of an anti-EBV or antiviral, you know, uh, and this is the concept behind my ITERI study um, uh, that I put forward several years ago. Um, So this was the idea of using an anti-CD20 therapy as an induction and then continuing with teriflunamide. And teriflunamide may work uh, because it is antiviral and we have shown it actually suppresses EBViral shedding in the saliva, and there's lots of uh, lab-based work showing that this whole class of drugs that teriflunamide comes from, which includes vitaflutamus, works against viruses. Um, I've just re- I've also just completed a review article uh, on the potential EBV antivirals, and I was quite surprised how many EBV antivirals are out there that need to be tested in MS. What we now need is some big, brave pharmaceutical company to come forward uh, I know that some of them don't have some of them don't have experience in MS, but to join the party and at least test EBV antivirals as a therapeutic strategy in MS. So you know it's clear to me, and it should be clear to my colleague and my colleagues in general, that anti-CD20 therapies have a limited shelf life as a treatment for MS in the way we use them now. And I don't think they will be the mainstream of MS treatment in ten years' time. You know. Uh, and uh, you may not be aware, but all the big pharma companies that have licensed anti-CD20 therapies are not sitting on their hands. Uh, they all have very deep and very interesting MS development pipelines. And this tells us from within the pharmaceutical companies that have these therapies um, that they are not good enough. And they must. Uh, and it's clear that we have to go beyond just preventing relapses and suppressing focal, focal MRI activity. And, uh, you know, we have to get to the small ring MS. And so the most exciting of these products at the moment are the CNS penetrant therapies targeting small ring MS. And this includes CD19 targeted CAR T cells and uh, proteasome inhibitors like exosomid. Um, I know for the average listener or reader, the information that I've put forward in this podcast and newsletter may be difficult to understand. But if you're having problems, please don't hesitate to ask questions. Um, I think also this um, newsletter tells you that uh, MS is not uh, a simple disease. It's very complicated, and we have to get down into the nitty-gritty of the immunology to understand the disease and to create targeted therapies. Anyway, enjoy, uh, and 
if you haven't become a pain, pain subscriber, please consider subscribing. Or if you've got a colleague or a friend you think would benefit, give, give them a gift subscription. Um, you know, we're using the uh, income raised from the uh, MSL feed newsletter uh, to support the microsite and uh, other developments that we have planned. Thank you.